I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, RuPaul isn't just supermodel of the world, but queen of the world. Kim Cattrall doesn't owe anyone Sex in the City 3. And Robin Wright, obviously, is the lead of House of Cards, wasn't she always? Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Hi, Diana. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. How's your morning going? It's going really well. It's finally winter in New York City. Yeah, it's freezing. Not to talk about the weather on the top of the hour, but... (laughs) We're running a morning show anyway, aren't we? We we might as well be. We should be running a morning show. How do you... I wanted to ask you, how do you feel... Like, I always feel very refreshed. Like, when the seasons kick in and it starts getting really... Like, not just cold, but, like, freezing... I think because I'm from Buffalo originally, like everyone gets like, oh, it's so cold. And I'm like, get it together. Like, I love like the freezing weather. A thousand percent. I'm the same way. I love like bundling. Mm -hmm. I really take a lot of joy in like wrapping my scarf around my head, pulling mittens on, having a toque. What's a toque? Oh, God. My Canadian is showing. I totally forgot that. that? (laughs) What does that mean? Um, A toque is a French Canadian word for hat. (sighs) You're Canadian? Every episode we got to bring it up. <laughs> it's got to manifest in some way, and I'm really happy that it came up today with the weather. Yeah. Well, Justin Trudeau is, like, trying to get on Beaver Talk, and we refuse to let him, but you know, I guess it's if so you're Canadian, annoying. Did you maybe. Hear, yeah, did you hear from him again today, too? It's he like, won't stop calling me. Oh, my God. He loves feminism. Is he a feminist? I, I, didn't, I wasn't <laughs> aware. I didn't know. Um, but, yeah, I love when things start to get, like, chillier and, like, warm drinks, and I like the coziness. The only thing I don't like about the winter is that I have to fully blow dry my hair. Yeah. Because it never actually dries anyway, but at least, like, in the summer, spring, you kind of just, like, do a, I do, like, my bang. I do, like, four minutes in the front, and then I just am out the door. But to have to, like, so your hair doesn't freeze off. Yeah, you got, like, a fully it's ready. Like, it's like, Yeah. It's a lot of commitment. My hair is so long right now, and I'm wondering if I should cut it in preparation for winter or if that's the stupid move because you want the warmth. I think you always want a little bit longer in the winter. That's to what warm I you. too. But this is getting to the point where... But I'm... also, then you have to dry it longer. Well, well, yeah, that's hair. what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it took me a minute to catch up with you there. <laughs> Welcome to the show. How long Hello. Is it? Your hair's pretty thick, too. Does it take a long time to dry? It does, yeah. I need to, like, towel dry aggressively before I can blow dry. Hmm. The preparation that goes into this, right? I want to know, this is a call out to our listeners right away. If you run a podcast, if you know someone who hosts a podcast, if you know anyone who's podcasting, what do you wear to podcast? What do you wear to do your recordings? Because I think it's an interesting idea. What? Why do we care about that? Because what you wear affects your mood. It affects how you Mm. hold your body. It affects... Um, if you sit up straight in the chair, if you lounge, if you cross your legs, Are if you... Are you telling me I look like shit right now? That is the underpinning of why I ask, just because if you get the view I that I'm getting... I put on makeup for you. I mean, God bless. Thank you. I'm so happy. <laughs> That's so lovely. I love when we dress up for one another. No, I'm asking because, like, I'd love to know what Alec Baldwin is wearing when he does Here's the Thing, or I'd love to know what RuPaul... I picture him in, like, a suit... I don't. I picture him in sweatpants. Really? 
Yeah. Well, I don't want to ruin the illusion of what I think Alec Baldwin is doing. It's so funny because at the top of one of his episodes, um, it's with Jimmy Fallon. Can I ask you a question about Alec Baldwin? I'm just going to interrupt you. Oh my God, this is like the hundredth time today that you've interrupted me. And I feel like I'm just, I'm just like a little bit invisible today. But please. You are never invisible. I just must get to the, to the bottom of what you think and feel about. Now, when I listen to Alec Baldwin, I feel like part of me is like, he's so funny, like, you're making a face. You don't agree. Why are you listening to him? You're not a fan? Because he has really smart conversations with really, really talented people. But then part of me is like, he kind of reminds me of like my old like Irish Catholic uncle who's like a bit racist and sexist. And like, then it kind of bothers me that I'm listening to it. Like, I can't quite figure it. But I genuinely am a fan. I love 30 Rock. I think his comedy is hysterical. But then I kind of hate him at the same time. But then I really want to be on. Here's the thing. <laughs> so it's just I'm full of emotions. Alec, about it. if you're listening... Just let Erin know what to wear to the podcast recording, <laughs> and we'll all coordinate so that you can interview her on Here's the Thing. Let's put a pin in that conversation, though, because that we're going to get more into that in a later episode of Beaver Talk. Oh, but what were you saying about who I you were talking remember. to? I don't remember. You interrupted so me. And there. Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Well, now it's not going to be as funny, because the setup has just been too long. But he, as soon as the podcast goes live, like it starts, um, Jimmy Fallon like beats out. Baldwin to the first line he's like do you always do this naked it's just so fun it's just like disarms him it's just like he's no longer holding court how do you feel about Jimmy Fallon what do you like in what way like in every way are you a fan (laughs) are you not a fan do you like him do you dislike him I think he's an incredibly talented entertainer Mm -hmm. we need to not go any deeper than that I feel really (laughs) what do you mean really (laughs) I, I, I think he really missed the mark politically, and I think he's That's what I mean, it. is we need, yeah, for sure. And I think he needs to get information. Well, he's not going to. Well, then I think he should be canceled, because I think we live in an activist society, and we need to not normalize Trump's I think behavior. We need to, I think we live in a capitalist society, and I think he makes a lot of money for NBC. Well, I'm just saying I would fire him with love. Jimmy, if you're listening, you no longer have a job, according to Aaron Bagwell. I do like him, though. I assume all these people are listening to Beaver Talk, though. I mean, what else are they doing? We're blocks away. Like, get at <laughs> us. Come on. Come in and have these conversations. Actually, as I say that, I know, like, a Jimmy Fallon booking person that I am currently trying to get on the show. So, what? I immediately, I'm, I'm taking back everything that I just said. Rewind. Nothing's can we, happened. Can we dive into the theme of this episode? or Any minute now, really. <laughs> as we banter away. Um, Diane and I thought it would be really fun to go through some of our media icons, which are clearly Alec Baldwin and Jimmy Fallon and the amazing white <laughs> we men. Love that white are, men. We, we love white men. We really them. do. Love them. Um, and to just kind of go through some of the people who've shaped our, I, I don't even want to say like shaped our perspective in media, but like, I feel like when I think about this and I was telling Sal this yesterday when I was having him guess my list was like, you know, we didn't grow up with like Shonda Rhimes or Lena Dunham or these amazing powerhouse female creators. So like. You know, for me in high school, like I had you just had to find strong women that you could aspire and look up to who weren't even in the space. And so I feel like a lot of my like high school, you know, the women that I held in great regard and really I felt helped me kind of shape who I wanted to be were like singers, Mm -hmm. you know, like Cher and um, Barbara Streisand and Gwen Stefani, I think were real cornerstones of women that I just thought were icons that I looked up to. You were looking up to Barbara Streisand in high school? Yeah, we did. Funny girl. Um, my, I want to say my junior, my senior year. And so like, don't rain on my parade was part of my like repertoire, like from the get go. Can you sing it? Oh, man. <laughs> oh my God. 
I can sing it in the shower and the car. I mean, that song really is such a powerful um, declaration of like feminism. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, I remember knowing that she was one of the first women to write and direct a picture that she then starred in, which was so badass. And I um, so, yeah, I've really I've always admired Babs. As I call her. I love that you did Funny Girl. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what song I sang from her or what. I don't even remember, like, what. I was not the lead. Shocking. Um, Actually, I'm kind of shocked. Are you? <laughs> what superhero got it aside from you? Um, I don't even remember. I think she was older than me. Oh, okay. I think they picked the play for the girl who was right. a senior. Now that I'm really recalling, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore. Man, you got to be a and you got to be a real superstar to get those roles. I definitely seniors. had the confidence, obviously, to carry the show, and was not picked. You know, but Aaron's quite confident. For those of you who don't know, um, I'm basically a white man. <laughs> is what I've decided recently. God, throwing them under the bus right. I was watching that. the Bodyguard last night. Okay, we let that sink in, yeah. <laughs> and the whole movie is basically like a love letter that Kevin Costner like wrote and produced to himself. Where he's the star and he does this and like Whitney falls in love with him and then he's like the hero and he's the lead and like it's so outrageous, like the white people shit that goes on in that movie. Um and I was like, we were laughing so hard because there was a scene where he's with his father and his father's like talking about how great how he looks fear in the face and like he's so proud like He's such a, it was the weirdest scene I've ever seen in a movie, like that he, that this was the dynamic and it doesn't make any sense. And if you saw the movie, you'd be like, why did Kevin Costner bring when he's to his father's house? It just like, doesn't make any sense. So I've seen the bodyguard. Yeah. Like just caught it on. I don't think I've ever watched it like tip to tail mm-hmm. in one sitting. I think I've always like kind of cobbled it together whenever it's been on TV. Uh huh. But Kevin Costner makes my skin crawl. So I, I can't sit through it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I wanted to watch it because of Whitney and because I wanted to watch, I mean, it's such an iconic movie and it was really funny. But anyway, the scene with him and his father, Sal and I were laughing. They were like, he was like, that's something your mother would do for you. Like, you you, you know, just like praising you with like unfounded confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, Barbara Streisand, I feel like for me, you know, yeah, singers were a huge deal for me. Dancers were also a huge deal. So like women who are phenomenal dancers. Like who? Beyonce was a phenomenal okay, dancer. Okay. Lady Gaga. Yeah. But I mean, um, they, we don't think of them as dancers. And it, but I did. Like, that's how, like, I... Because I was in dance when all those women oh, okay. were coming up. So I was, like, learning the routines. And, like, mm-hmm. the... What was Diana like at, in high school? I was a bit of a mean girl. <gasps> I know. Really? I, yeah, I was a bit of a mean girl until I started dating my boyfriend um in grade 11 what does mean girl mean like you were popular yeah I was in like a clique of girls and mm-hmm. we were just kind of you know co-ed school yeah public school yeah okay just asking <laughs> getting the details um and then I was into the drama kids so I did like all the plays and I did um you know theater was like my big thing to no one's surprise mm-hmm. we did the whiz I was the whiz great <laughs> we did Romeo and Juliet, but we did like punk. Fun. It was insane. I was Lady Capulet. I didn't get to be punk, which was sad. But yeah, I was I was in with the drama kids, so watching a lot of TV, a lot of movies, a lot of all the things. And dance was a big part of your Yeah. I was dancing about like six days a week in high school. Six so. days a week? Yeah. What kind of dance? Um, all of it. So I did mostly ballet, but then I did jazz and I think at that point it was 
tap and modern. Six days a week? Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to be a dancer? Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to like pursue it like through college, but um, I injured my Achilles tendon and your body just takes a beating and it's got to stop. So. Wow. Yeah. The life of an athlete. I know. It was a really big thing. You can watch it all in Save the Last Dance. That's basically my story. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was, that was, I just loved performance in high school. So mm-hmm. I loved, and I love popular culture. Always have. So yeah, that was a big, a big piece of it. I watched a lot of Gossip Girl. I saw every movie, like the day it came out, I would always go to the theater on Fridays. I was just like a sponge for all things pop culture. I loved it. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to, I, I feel like I went to an, I went to an all girls Catholic school. Um, and we kind of had clicks, but we kind of didn't because we were all just kind of floating around in this. There was only like, like 70, you know, students in my class. So it was really close. Um, and I remember actually one of, I think one of the defining, you know, media icons for me was, was definitely like Cher. Mm -hmm. And I went through like a depression my senior year of high school. And I think just like as people go through, you know, seasons change and things like that. I don't think there was like a defining moment. It could have been like the stress of like going on to college or whatever. Um, and really getting in. It was the first person that I felt like I did a deep dive with. And I got her book and I went to see her concert. And I had this um, album cover like on my wall that like was a shrine to like what I would look at. And like not challenging myself to be better, but to feel better and to feel comfort in this woman's strength. And she took up so much space for me. Um, and I really became quite obsessed with Cher. And uh, one of my favorite stories from high school is, is going to the Cher concert and then coming to school the next day. Have I told this story already? No, I don't think so. Have I told you? I've told you before, though, right? You told me that you've been to the Cher concert, but I don't think you've told me about the day after. So I was on student council, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I went to the Cher concert and I got the Cher t-shirt and I put it on over my uniform the next day, which is like, you cannot break the rules, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting in homeroom and Miss Maloney was like, with love, the shirt looks great. Take it off. Like, you can't wear a Cher shirt. You're on student council. Like, you're supposed to be the example. (laughs) And I sat back in my chair, 17-year-old, 16-year-old Aaron was like, write me up. I'm not taking the shirt off and like made a big deal about it. Cause Were I was you smoking like, while this happened. Cause I also <laughs> picture that with like feet up on the desk, just like with my gray knit skirt on and knee socks and the whole thing. Flipping the bird to Miss Maloney. I was like, not a chance. Write me up. I'm not taking the shirt off. And we got into like a fight about it. And then I eventually did, but I was like, shit forever. Resistance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're going to like, if you're going to cause a kerfuffle, share is a worthy instigator and i can't find the shirt isn't that what? the most depressing part of the story I, yeah I, I always go back to my parents house and like try to tear it up and find it but i don't have no idea where it is and there's no way i would have thrown it out oh man so it must be somewhere it's somewhere there you got to find it maybe miss maloney has it <laughs> she took it from you and she made you take it off yeah <laughs> um yeah when i was in high school i like i was obsessed with hip-hop and rap I know. Where does this, you still are. Where does this I come from? Am. Where does this stem? So my brothers, I have two older brothers and they used to watch uh, like snowboard movies and okay. like extreme sport 
snowboard movies Mm -hmm. um and the soundtrack would always be rap music because a bunch of white kids with you know from canada 900 dollars snowboards can totally relate to the struggles of Mm jay-z um but it made them like feel hard and it made them feel like badasses so i would watch these movies with my brothers and i was like i really like this music like i really am into this and then my brothers downloaded a whole bunch of music and when i got an ipod when i got a green ipod mini it was my first ipod um, I just put all my brother's music onto my iPod. And so I listened to like Rage Against the Machine, Jay-Z, Biggie Smalls. Um, oh my God, who else was on there? Guns N' Roses. It was just an eclectic mix. Yeah. And I loved, I caught on to Jay-Z really early and I realized now he's kind of this controversial figure because he's amassed over a billion dollars with Beyonce um, of wealth and he's he's an empire now i mean i i don't dislike jay-z but i've never felt like any kind of i'm definitely you know part of the kanye family as we've talked about he's part of the kanye family but he's not he signed kanye yeah but if you listen to this podcast about their relationship they don't feel like friends to me no because they got in a huge fight because kanye dissed beyonce no this was way before that they, the only reason this. that they signed Kanye was that so they could steal his beats and that he wouldn't go produce records for other people. They didn't even let him, you know, produce his own album under Rockefeller. It took him years. And he self he self um, funded a lot of the beginning of his career because Rockefeller did not believe in him. Jay-Z didn't believe in him. Like there's the stories of the, like the ideation and their relationship. Like, I think Kanye wants to be on that level where they're. But, but they've done is, albums together. Like yeah, they did now. watch the Yeah, but that's what I mean. Is like it it's been it's a business. It's been like this with them always. And rappers have never been like it's never this like love thing. It's, well, there's so much at stake and there's so much individuality in the culture that it's like it's almost confrontational and um confrontational and just problematic, like inherently in the culture. Yeah, I hear that, but I still don't like him. That's fine. You don't like need to like him. He's like, he was everything to he me in high school. He doesn't need me, I guess. And I saw, I saw him perform in Calgary um, on his Blueprint 3 tour. Um, and it was just like, I was so in love and I was so enamored with the storytelling and someone who's just owning exactly where they come from and exactly what they embody. And, you know, for everything that is written about him and said about him, it was just the performance was so inspiring to me mm-hmm. and I loved watching him just embody that space on the stage and just take up so much for himself and his fans and he was just such a big part of then what brought me into that whole genre of music and I got so much from rappers I think that rap music is like one of the only things that got me through my master's degree is I just listened <laughs> to like hip-hop and rap all the way to school and all the way home and like I was just like embedded with it because I love the attitude. I love the poetry. I love the storytelling. I love the, I love the owning where you come from, but wanting more. Mm -hmm. I love the dream of it. Um, And then the achievement of the dream is something that I think is also really interesting and really complicated for so many rappers. Um, So he was a big icon for me and he was somebody who introduced me to, you know, just storytelling and different ways of sharing your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that was really, Jay-Z was really important to me in high school and, and continues to be. I'm going to see his show in December again. So 
I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I, followed, I like hearing you talk about him. <laughs> I followed him all the way to Brooklyn. We now just, you know, exist in the same spaces. I know. Um, but yeah, I realized like, and I got into a conversation with somebody about him this summer because he was just like, tell me what is so great about this person. And I, that's something I love is I love like sharing my experience with him. And I realized like it is not every, it's very few people's experience with him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, I think less about his like personality or like his upbringing and like, I think what you, you just described in your relationship to him, like totally makes sense. I think just from a musical perspective, it doesn't like hit me in the same way in the heart. It's yeah. really just all. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. not to discredit, obviously the legacy and the achievement and. Yeah. I also think his love of New York is something that really spoke to me, mm-hmm. especially when I was in high school and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, he just, he has such a huge, huge space in his heart for this city. Um, and I think that that's really beautiful. And he was starting to build Barclays Center. You know, he was not a huge investor in that, but he is one of the reasons that he carried Biggie Small's legacy over to get that stadium built. Um, so that was really, it was just, it always felt self full circle to me, just Mm -hmm. his impact in this space and the impact that he's had in New York, um, since moving here has been, has been really cool to see. I love it. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. What about in your um, collegiate years? You mentioned your master's and kind of moving through. Was there any kind of standout um, pieces of media that really kept you through that that tumultuous, tumultuous time? My undergrad was really calm, hmm. like strangely calm. I lived at home. I was in a degree that I just totally got. I totally clicked with. I wanted to be in it. Mm-hmm. All my classes were like, I could really like kind of fine tune it to my interests. Um, and so I kind of just went through my undergrad, obviously still being a sponge to popular culture, but nothing really of note that like needed to get me through it. Yeah. Um, no one who... Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like kind of boring. It's kind of like a boring <laughs> contribution to this conversation. But when I think about um, going through college, like I don't remember listening to anything that like really pushed me through or mm-hmm. watching movies that like really inspired well, I think me. I'm also thinking like I know how hard your master's was for you yeah and I think that's what I was wondering yeah so, okay so yeah and the master's is where I discovered Cheryl Strayed mm. um and that was everything to me I, I love that yeah I read wild in I still haven't read wild okay you need to read like, wild. what am I doing <laughs> have I read any Cheryl Strayed books have you read Brave Enough? No. Have you read Tiny Beautiful Things? No. Have you read Burn? I have to get information. Oh my God. I know. Yeah, I mean, we might I need feel to like stop I, recording. I almost feel like I... It's funny because I like her already. Mm-hmm. And, like, I get her and I love her mother. Like, I feel like I already get it. So I think that's just on me that I actually need to now do the work. But I do <laughs> appreciate her already. I think... And her relationship to Reese and hearing about the building out yeah. of that. I mean, the, the myth around that, around, you know, them making Wild was is everything. So... Yeah. I, I kind of feel like I know her, but I obviously don't. No. Well, I mean, I mean, I have that relationship with a lot of people whose work I've never actually done the work of diving into. But mm-hmm. there's something about Cheryl Strayed's words and the way that she constructs stories and the way that she tells her own story that just fires directly into the center of my heart. And mm-hmm. I read Wild in Two Days, um, which is her memoir about losing her mother and hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. But you're not a fan of Dear Sugar. Dear Sugar Radio. Correct. Yeah, no. Why? 
I don't like the I don't like the male co-host. Okay. <laughs> like how I whisper that because I feel He's so guilty. He's fired too. <laughs> I want Cheryl. I just want Cheryl. I just want to hear from Cheryl. And that's what Dear Sugar, her column was, is just the advice that she would write as Sugar to all these people who would yeah, write into her. Yeah, who is that guy? And why does he think he is, like, on on the level? I don't know anything about him, but I think he's just such a, like, he's just a little too cliched for me. He's trying a little too hard. Whereas Cheryl Strayed embodies the empath, uh-huh. he's, like, catching up to her. I, I, yeah, interesting. Interesting. I don't like Dear Sugar Radio, but... I saw Tiny Beautiful Things at the Public Theater here in New York. If you have a chance, Nia Verdalos plays Cheryl Strayed. It's the story of... Cheryl Strayed used to write this anonymous um, advice column called Dear Sugar. And she would embody sugar and give advice um, to all these people who would write in about everything from, like, sexual kinks to, like, the death of a child. Um, And it really runs the gamut of just all the different experiences that people have. And it's such a beautiful book. The book itself is called Tiny Beautiful Things. And that's a collection of her advice columns. And then um, Tiny Beautiful Things at the Public Theater is the play that they adapted, starring Nia Verdalos from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Cool. And it's just so beautifully done. But Wild was one of those books that you read and it just speaks to you. Like, you know, when you find a piece of media yeah. that just, it's, it's as if they're writing it for you. Mm. Cool. And I'm not the only one who had that experience. That was overwhelmingly the experience. It's a pretty popular book, I'd say. So it's done some <laughs> stuff. Um, but I know that it was so impactful for me that I knew that when I put it down, it was like, I will read this book when my mother passes away. Mm. Because she just names things so profoundly in it. Um, and the relationship that she had with her mother, I so much identified with. Um. So yeah, it, it really, it really spoke to me. Um, and I got to meet her last December, which was so crazy. I love it. It was so, so cool. crazy. Shout out to Chloe um, in Vancouver for making the introduction. I got to go see her to talk back and Chloe did a writing workshop with her. And I walked up on stage and Chloe's like, oh, Cheryl, this is my friend, Diana. <laughs> I was like, casual, 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 calm. Amazing. But she really, and, and as somebody who loves writing, she really also helped me elevate um, my emotional writing and and how to kind of communicate your personal stories into a bigger sphere. Yeah. Until a lot of those to kind of resonate with a bunch of different people. So. Amazing. Shell Strait was a, a very big, a very influential person for me and continues to be. And her story about Reese Witherspoon is everything. Absolutely. Who was, who was a big deal for you in college? Um, I really started um, loving Lady Gaga. She kind of came around the scene. Um, but I think the media, I know we've talked about it at length, so we don't need to go super into it, but Sex in the City. Yeah. Um, I, so I was freshman in college, and my I hated my roommate. So I actually switched roommates in college, like the first year freshman, like, it was a very kind of like big decision. It felt mm-hmm. like a big decision to have to do. And it felt awkward to have to go to the head of students and say, okay, like this isn't working and we need a new space. So then I ended up being in a room with this other girl 
And she was really lovely for a while. And then her boyfriend was like a really big drug dealer. Oh, my God. And I ended up kind of feeling like it was fun at first to like be in these spaces. And then at some point I was like, this is I don't want to do this anymore. And so I became really isolated (laughs) in my first year of school. Um, And so I really I'd watched Sex in the City and. You know, my best friend in high school, Molly Stamp, and I, we we bought the DVD sets. Like, I'd buy one, then she'd buy one, and we had to watch them together. Um, and it became something that I just rewatched over and over again to kind of take up that space of not having a community at that time. Um, and it really helped <sighs> until I had to get into, like, a new, sp- you know, until kind of the year passed. Yeah, those women have got, oh, my God, they've just got so many of us through so many things. Yeah. I feel like I just want a, a coffee and a girlfriend with me at all times when I watch that show. Mm-hmm. It's so great. Did you identify with Carrie? Oh, yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. She's my fave. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've talked about it so extensively. But... Although Sarah Jessica Parker's Instagram is so wonkadoo. I know. She really. I, I'm not sure if I should unfollow it to, like, preserve the myth or what. No. You can't unfollow Diana SJP. Diana and I went last year to um, Bloomingdale's to watch her sign shoes. How did you feel? <laughs> We've never talked about Incredible. like how you felt. Incredible. Really? Because I was so scared. Why were you scared? I was scared of her. I've never been so starstruck in my life. I mean, I was definitely starstruck, but it just felt so right. And I just felt like such a creep because you're really just watching this woman like walk around and like help other people. Like we weren't even buying shoes or like pretending to be in the line or like (laughs) we're just watching her. I heard her before I saw her too. I lo- so. yes, love hearing her voice. I mean, what a creep. What I mean, a voice. I just feel like such a creep, but it was a, del- a delight. Oh, man. I'd was... go back again and watch her walk around and just observe her in her natural habitat of Bloomingdale's. <laughs> yeah, she's so great. Are you still watching Divorce? You know, I kind of want to keep watching it, even though it's not speaking to me and I don't like <laughs> And I can't figure out, like, they're using Molly Shannon, like, all wrong. And it's just, it, it, the show doesn't feel like it quite has its legs or arms or feet or abdomen but or head. But I just, I don't know. I, I want to support it. And I, she basically is playing the same char- character. She's, she's so herself and so Carrie, like, in everything that she does. Yeah. Or so Sarah, I guess we should say. Yeah. That I... I might continue to watch it. I think I I've stopped. watched worse. I did watch two seasons of Friday Night Lights, oh, so I think I, I could go through a divorce, you know? Oh, man, you have such a, like, patience for bad TV. It's something I wish I had. I wish, but I'm so disloyal when it comes to television. Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't like it by episode three, I'm done. I mean, I guess I think I just have a stronger threshold. You do. You absolutely do. You're so patient with, like, the unfolding of but things. But it's not even like I expected it to get better. No, I'm just willing you're to just sit with it. through it. <laughs> you're just with it. You're just like, I have talked to you when we were like, you know, checking in every day. The things you would watch and I would just be like, man, I wish. Yeah. I wish I could be on that level with you. One summer. Oh my God. I watched all 34 discs of Allie McBeal. I don't even know how many hours that is, but they were physical 34 discs. Probably had like you know, I don't know, like, how many hours on each disc or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Of all the seasons. And me and my brother, like, just been, like, hardcore. Your brother watched it with you? Oh, my God. My brother is the best. So he used to go to the library, like, every weekend and pick out, like, 
15 DVDs or movies or whatever. And he knew that I wouldn't watch what he wanted to watch. So he would intentionally pick up like a rom-com or like a comedy or like something to force me to like sit in the basement in the summer and watch whatever wackadoo shit. We watched Kinky Boots. Like we watched great movies. Oh my gosh. Um, But that's all he did was like sit in the basement and watch movies and he would have to pick because he knew I wasn't going to watch like whatever. Right. So he'd have to lure me in with like some bullshit. With 34 discs of Ally McBeal. <sighs> yeah, but we've watched a lot of. Actually, I'd love to do an episode because my brother and my mom and my father all watch Scandal. <sighs> and they continue Damn. to watch it like every like not together, but then they'll have like conversations <laughs> about it. Like our whole the Bagwells are all watching Scandal. Oh, my which God. Which I feel like is we have to in the future wrangle everyone together to get some because why is my brother Jim, Tyler, Mary Alice you're all invited to New York City to do a Beaver Talk episode exclusive on Scandal yeah oh my god that's wonderful isn't that crazy the only show that my family watched all together was the OC oh so good I okay yeah if there's gonna be a show we watched because you guys got it a day before we did but in Buffalo we could watch it on the Canadian channel the day before so we watched it with you guys on Sundays but it didn't come out until Mondays in the States that's interesting Uh uh-huh because we're close enough that we got whatever CC blah 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 I there are a few shows I mean OC is one of those shows that was like very influential in my life I wanted to be Marissa Cooper it was such a great first season. And yeah. it really started the spinoff of like the Laguna Beach, the Hills. Yeah. Did you ever watch any of those shows? I watched the Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Hills and I watched. Oh, no, I guess that's all I watched of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that got a little too like meta for me in the last episode of the Hills. <laughs> when she like pulls away all the screens and it's all an illusion. What? Did you not see the. Probably Spo- not. I'm, I'm going to say spoiler alert, but it's been out for a while. What so does that up. mean? She pulled away the screen. When she says goodbye to Brody, who's moving. Okay. They hug, and then all of it starts to like dissolve around them, and they're actually just standing in a back lot, and he gets back into a car and drives away. <gasps> it's That's all amazing. fake. I it's love all fake. It. And it was like Lauren Conrad's fuck you to all the producers who controlled her life for like 10 years. Oh my God. It was like, none of this is I'm real. I'm for her. Why? I don't know. She seems like she was in a situation and like as a young woman and like to have your life control. Like it's just that's an intense place to be. Did you watch the exclusive about how they made the hills last year? No, I should. I will put it on immediately when I get home. You're going to be sad. Her mom is like, oh, well, she wasn't that good at school. So we thought reality TV might have been a good option. Oh, my God. And it's just like a quick moment. And I'm like, oh, that says a lot about what's going on here. Dagger. But I love Lauren Conrad. She's such a boss. Me too. And she's such a joy to work with. Like my cousin has, you know, had run-ins with her through her jobs and things like that. Yeah. And she's she says she's a pleasure to work with. Yeah. My friend Nicole it. says the same thing. I believe it. I love it. Um, speaking about reality TV, I'm going to out myself as a huge Kardashians fan. <laughs> I wondered when Kim K was going to come into this Kimmy! conversation. Um, Here we go. Okay. So, if you're standing up, you might want to sit down. First of all, I have a lot of theories I need to share. I'm going to need about 15 minutes. Like, go ahead and get a coffee while you <laughs> yes, do this? Yes, please remove yourself. Um, <laughs> I feel like I started watching the Kardashians. To be honest with you, I was really interested in Scott and Courtney's relationship because I felt like I jumped in at, like, season six, saw episodes here and there, never really did a deep dive, like, didn't know anything about the family, didn't really care, was one of those people that was like, 
don't love them or hate them. They're just there. And I was like, I want to go back. Like, I want to see these two fall in love. Like, where, why the hell are they so dysfunctional? I want to get to the base of their relationship. That was really kind of my entryway. And then through that, I really fell in love with Kim. Like, all things, like her, her work ethic. And, like, the first season when you see her signing autographs at a car show, your heart is filled with so much love and joy because you're like, how did this woman, first of all, take this experience where she is? Your heart is filled with so much love and joy. Like, take this opportunity at a goddamn car show and be on the cover of, I mean, the work ethic of, like, being in the spotlight and staying in it. And as somebody who has had a little bit of recognition in her career, like, at the end of the day, like, nobody cares. Like, you do one thing and nobody cares. I think the hard thing about being successful is staying successful and staying in the spotlight and keeping people engaged and keeping people, like, aware of what you're doing or whatever. So the fact that, A, they turn the situation with the sex tape into a business is out of control. You know, when we think about the hundreds of um, reality TV stars who come in and out of our lives, that they've been able to plant their feet, not only plant their feet, they rule the kingdom. And, like, Kris Jenner, as a businesswoman, there is an interview with Janet Mock where they talk about building Bruce Jenner, formerly known, Caitlyn's career, and the way that they did that and the way that they put together the press kit and they faxed it out and she's, uh, she's wheeling and dealing on the phone and she's got the Rolodex. She built her career and she, the way that she built Kim's career. And it is, I think, at like the business schools, if they are not studying Kris Jenner, like, they need to get the hell out of here. I mean, really? Like, who else are you going to study right now? Oh, I really have a lot of admiration. And I know that that is a very unpopular opinion. No, I love it. And this is something I love. Like, you've actually, we got in a fight the first time we talked about the Kardashians. <laughs> and I love, um, I don't relate to them in the way that you don't, in the way that you don't relate to Jay-Z. Like, yeah. you don't like me, not into it. doesn't yeah. speak to you. They don't speak to me. I don't see them. Mm-hmm. I don't really hear them. I, don't really I also get love, it. like, sorry, I also, like, oh love how, <laughs> let's turn a tally. <laughs> how many times did I interrupt you? Um, like, the, this is, like, such a bullshit thing to say, but, like, and there is a lot of objectification, and, like, this is, we're going, I'm entering into a space as a feminist that is unpopular, um, but, like, the amount of, like, self-care and, like, makeup and, like, how beautiful they look, too, it's, like, you see everyone, like, living their day-to-days just, like, garbage people, or that's how, like, I feel when I get up and, like, I'm doing the work or whatever, but, like, the amount of, like, care and, like, love and, like, Kim, for all of the seasons, has had a makeup artist. And it's so interesting. Like, you can see, like, Courtney and Chloe, like, they don't. And she knows she's the queen. And she shows up every day looking like the queen. Like, it's just the amount of preparation and confidence and foresight. I just, there's so much about even the visual of, like, the, how seriously they take the show. Mm. I'm, like, obsessed with. And now they all get makeup done. Yeah, of course. But it's like, she really knew from the beginning what she was doing. Well, the scene that broke my heart is the one where... We've not talked about the next generation, like Kylie and Kendall. Mm, I, yeah. Okay, so there's a scene with <laughs> Kylie. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, fair enough. There's a scene with um, Kylie talking with Kim, and she's you know saying, like, I'm really drained, I'm really tired, sometimes I just don't feel like I'm made to be famous. Mm-hmm. And Kim <laughs> says, I've never felt that way. Yeah. And I believe her. Like, yeah. I'm like, there's so much respect for someone who just, like, knows, knows what, what they, they want. want. Yep. And, and she just is it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I did this. And I, I created this with my mom. And yeah. like, this is the world we live in. Also, Chris Jenner sits down with them every year and is like, what are your dreams? What do you want to achieve? Where do you want to go? How do we want to build this and shape this with you? Like, how do we? It, I just love everything. I would love to be a fly on the wall to those oh conversations. God, I love it. 
Um, why? What do you? What do you think? There's been much speculation, much talk about this over the past. How many seasons have they been on? Ten. Ten years. Um, what do you think the staying power is? I mean, I think the thing that's really interesting about them is they're willing to shift and evolve with media. Like we've seen their apps come out, like they're fully planted in every seed of the media. And I think that if the show were to not exist anymore, they would definitely continue to find avenues and ways to, you know, still be in the public eye. So I'm not not like worried about them in Mm -hmm. any way. And I will say the Kylie and the Kendall, they are a different animal. And I don't actually view them as the same breadth of work as the other girls, because the other girls chose so intentionally to be there and they chose to start certain businesses intentionally. And I think that Kim, to your point, has always known what she wants. Her mother, for sure, has had the same trajectory. The two of them have powered each other to kind of move everything forward. But Kylie and Kendall, because they were kind of bearing witness to it from such a young age, I have very different emotions about where they are. And I am honestly, truly deeply very worried about both of them I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a young woman you know they're so young and it's such a a weird space to be in and they've said it before like they don't feel like they're totally qualified to be there or want to be there and I think that's it's such a heartbreaking I'm I'm nervous for those girls I don't view them in the same space you know as I do the older ones yeah definitely they definitely feel like a different situation than Kim yeah, exploitative is not the right word, but it doesn't feel as naturally built in the right way. I'll use exploitive. Okay. <laughs> I feel comfortable using that on this side of the table. All right. Um, yeah, the Kardashians are a big thing for you, and I love... Well, I think I, as like I continue to like have to step into my public persona yes. and think about, like, it's such a draining thing to do for yourself, and it's, it's really hard, I think, when you look at other people. You know, I could brand you or Kent or anybody like it's so easy to look outwards and be able to shape a narrative. And it's really hard to do that inwards. Um, And I've I've really struggled to find role models to like help me kind of show up in spaces and be really professional as a speaker and as somebody who attends events and things like that. And, you know, Kim Kardashian, one of her mantras is be a pleasure to work with. And that's something that I think about every time I step on stage or I talk to somebody or email to somebody like your level of professionalism needs to be on point and you're representing like this space. And so I feel like when I was kind of really struggling to figure out like, what the hell am I doing? And, and we've had lots of conversations around dream girl with, you know, having to do Q and A's and am I enough? And like all of the yada yada. And it's like, yeah, I felt like I needed somebody to kind of um, to look up to in that space. Yeah, I think that that's something that I've always kind of liked about Kim is that she doesn't occupy the traditional space of women in the media where she's like talking about like, uh, I don't want to say like thoughts and feelings and reflections, but like she just does the work. And I love that like she doesn't think like, I'm sure she's thought about it a lot in the in the private side of her life of like, am I enough? But you never see that from her. It's like, mm-hmm. I am enough. Here yeah. I am. And I kind of, I love that about her. I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, I wish they would do, like, more in, like, about the business and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would love to do, like, just specifically around Kim and Chris's relationship. Like, the business and the way that they talk to each other and how they work. And even, you know, we get to see glimpses of that on the show where, like, they'll, like, take conference calls, like, in their glam room. Like, that's almost her, Chris's office, which is so... Like, that's the space they're creating. Or it just, I want to see more of that stuff. And I know it's not as glamorous but but it's the reason why all of this exists and i think that to turn over that rock would be especially interesting on that show 
Yeah, I would love a bigger deep dive there. Just a suggestion. You should intern with Chris Jenner. I would love to. We should make a mini series about her. I would love to do that. Yeah, me too. Nobody else probably wants to do that, so. Maybe we should just get them to fund it. (laughs) Perfect. Even better. If you're listening. Then we'd like to do a show about you. Um, Who else, Diana, in the recent years has really spoken to your heart and soul in, in this space? To be honest, the person that I really have been connecting with lately is Issa Rae. Mm. Um, Insecure is a show I absolutely love. I love what um, they've allowed her to do with it. I read this quote from her that said, to be honest, like she talks about how whenever she asked for permission, the answer was always no. So she had to start creating her own yeses. Mm. And she did that by writing for The New Yorker. She did a lot of um, comedy. She did a lot of writing. She just kept doing it yeah, and kept doing what she does. And then she created this show. And I love Insecure. Yeah. I love her kind of character, non-character, you know, the way that she is Issa, but she's not, she's herself, but not. And I think that there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. We saw that with Lena Dunham. Have we ever talked about the finale of Insecure? Have you watched it? Yeah. Season two? Wow. <laughs> It was so sad. Wow. Way to break your heart and stomp on it and just, wow. And Jay Ellis is so good on that show, the guy who plays Lawrence. (sighs) That was something. Yeah. It's a big one. It's like the life that, it's like coulda, woulda, shoulda. And you didn't do it. And And then you think it's happening. You think it's it's happening. It's not. You still live in your grungy, disgusting apartment with the pool that isn't filled with water yeah yeah I I think that she goes there Mm -hmm. and I think that the conversations that they have on that show with like with her best friend Molly I um, love Molly I love Molly and I love the struggle that they show without like really you know because this the writing is so subtle for for really naming things at the same time she leaves a lot of space for you to come to your own conclusions Mm -hmm. and you know when Molly can't get promoted and she's finds out that she's being paid way less than her male co-workers and she's working double hours. And um, I also think that the beautiful thing about Molly is she has this gorgeous apartment. She has this really nice car. She has all these beautiful clothes. She has a manicure. She has her hair done. Yeah, she has a nice looking life. She's like, and I want more. Yeah. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And I think that's a really cool space for women to step into as well. It's it's almost like the Miranda Hobbs. Yeah. I like, also like the permission granting that the two of them do to each other, that they let each other make the mistakes. Malibu. And they're there to Malibu. like, yeah, to be there and to like support. And I, I, I think that's very honest that like your female friendships are, you know, a work in progress and there's highs and there's lows. And I love that they allow each other the space to really you know, go there with each other, call each other out. And sometimes not. Sometimes you let the person, you know, do what they have to do. Yeah. It's a great show. Yeah. They let each other make I mistakes. I wish it was longer though. I don't. I love the, like, like bite-sized. The, yeah. yeah. I like okay. the bite-sized. I think we're giving way too much time. Then maybe we need more episodes. I want I more. Could stand I could stand for I longer. Feel, I feel very like we need. Yeah. I feel like we just start to get into the nuances. And I think what you're, to your point, is so subtle. Like it's yeah. very, like I just, I crave more, but maybe that's. You know, maybe it's perfectly timed and I'm just... She also leaves things really open-ended. Like, none of the none of the episodes are concluded. Mm-hmm. They just kind of stop. Um, and I love, in talking about Molly, I love that they don't tell each other everything. Yeah. That's something that, like, 
is not portrayed in female friendships often. You know, there's all this, like, we have to pour our hearts out to each other every time and we have to live our lives by committee. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much power in that Issa and Molly sometimes just have to, like, independently figure it out. Yeah. And you have to, like, realize that's a bad relationship. Mm -hmm. Or you have to realize that's a bad situation. Or you have to make the mistake of cheating on your boyfriend and live with that until you feel like you can tell your best friend. Yeah. Um, And so I really like that as well of, the not constantly living by committee. Cause I think with our interconnected lives and social media, we do kind of default to sometimes allowing people to make decisions for us. Totally. And we share before we're ready. Oh my God. All for the sure. time. <laughs> um, and so insecure. I like that they're kind of shady with each other sometimes. And mm-hmm. you know, they give each other the side eye like, okay, we'll talk, put a pin in that and we'll talk about it when you're ready. So insecure is a really, layered and multi-dimensional show and I think Issa Rae does a beautiful job of showing how complicated women are mm-hmm. and how complicated relationships are yeah. and I'm reading her book right now The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl and it's so funny really I want to read it she's a great writer um someone else who has really been inspiring me the past I would say the past year really yeah I've gotten into a real deep dive is supermodel of the world RuPaul Now, I was trying to remember as I was making notes today, like, I don't remember if it started with the podcast or the show, like a chicken and egg situation. I can't remember which one I started getting into first, but I've actually listened to all 124 hours of his podcast (laughs) with Michelle Visage. Which, if you're not listening to it, you need to download immediately. Yeah. He is an exceptional interviewer. I think that RuPaul, and I think we're starting to see, like, you know, obviously with the popularity of... RuPaul's Drag Race, like, people are starting to give him the space that he deserves. But it's interesting. I feel like he's been so marginalized as a person of color and as a drag queen. And, like, it's interesting because he talks about this, too, that there's this, you know, people kind of give space for, like, transgender community. But, like, drag queens are still this, and, you know, intentionally so, this satire on, like, masculinity and femininity and and really the world. And it's to poke fun at and kind of you know, remind people to not take themselves so seriously. And so they kind of live in the gay community and kind of this, or they have lived in this weird place where, you know, he'll go into a room or an interviewer with producers and not be taken seriously, like on a real big level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to kind of hear about that journey, but also he's so deeply grounded and smart. And, you know, to Kim Kardashian's point is like, it's okay. It's like one thing to break in, but to stay in and do the work he's been doing for decades, really, um, is so powerful. And I truly think he's like an Oprah of our generation that people just have not given the space to. Yeah. And they need to do it because he's such a he's such a gift. He's so wise. Um, the spiritual elements that they talk about on the show, and like you know, we have recently talked about this. The idea that you know politically we're going through like the the series of the caterpillar you know that like we right now like to become for a caterpillar to become a butterfly like and we're in this political turmoil it's like it's a painful process and it's a violent process and like he just has such great wisdom for what's going on right now in our world um and if you're not watching RuPaul's Drag Race I mean really jump in at any season it's such a joy to watch these talented young men and they all have a story they're all like have been abandoned by their families or went to jail or like suffered. A di- like the struggle is real of the LGBTQ community and to show them come together as a family 
and to build their community. I mean, there's, and then to just thrive. And it's so fun to watch Rue really push them. And like, sometimes he'll fuck with them. And I'll be like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Like he, he really pushes them to be the best that they can be. And I think that's such a joy to watch and to bear witness to. And um, I feel like I could not have gone through this year without RuPaul. Like yeah. truly, madly, deeply. Yeah, absolutely. What I love about Drag Race is he's not a host. He's a mentor. Mm. And the space yes. that he holds for kindness and compassion and joy you know, it's not a reality show in that people are, like, cutthroat and bitchy and, like, everyone's, like, at it to... I'm not here to make any and friends. And there's still like, a family, too, with, like, the tours and Michelle being part of, like, yeah. you know, mothering them through this, like... Yeah, you're... That's very true. And I love that on his podcast, he... You know, he is so wise and he's been here for a long time and he has a lot of experience and he has a lot of incredibly um, important insights, but he also leaves so much space for things he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I love when he has guests and he asks them a question and he's genuinely asking. And it's like, I want to know what you've done about this or I want to know what you think about this because I'm still figuring that out on my end. Yeah. Um, And I think for somebody who is, you know, he's an icon. He's so famous and he's so, he's so larger than life. So for him to like ask, you know, Lady Gaga what it was like to come up with that much fame. Yeah. um, He's genuinely asking it's right. not just from a place of like i have to interview you mm-hmm. um yeah rupaul i think what just always strikes me so much is how kind he is and what mm. an empath he is and yes. i remember he did an interview with uh katie perry on like that bizarre three-day live stream that she did okay and he just like holds her hands and his whole body's relaxed and he's sitting like like knee to knee uh-huh and they're facing each other and she's talking about like how hard it's been and she's kind of like little shaky and she's mm-hmm. like a little unsure of herself and he's just like open and no judgment no you know any kind of any kind of value placement any kind of I'm waiting to talk I'm waiting for you to stop talking so I can give you advice he's yeah. just like there for her yeah and he is such a mentor that's such a great word and I feel like in my brain that's definitely our relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's a mentor he's not a host he's a mentor yeah um he reminds me of Gloria Steinem in the way that he holds space mm, for people. I love that. And in the way that he listens to people. Yeah. Um, he, you know, think of how many conversations he's had about these topics and he still acts as if this is the first time he's talking about it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Totally. I love that. I feel like Oprah, I think the reason that I associate the two of them is I feel like Oprah's gift as well is that she gives people so much space and she really tries to make them feel seen and she's present with them. So I think that's totally, you know, true about RuPaul and Gloria Steinem. It's like such a thread of somebody who's, um, yeah, not only there to do the work, but just be present and be with people. I love it. Gloria's also on my list. I know we're yeah. both big My Life on the Road fans. Yeah, I can't wait to make that into a well, they're making They're making it into a, a biopic. Yeah, we're going to make it into a miniseries, though, and it's going to be great. Well, the woman from The Lion King is doing it, and I have 100%. Julie Taymor? Correct. Julie Taymor is making Gloria Steinem's movie? Correct. I saw her speak at the Women in Hollywood event. What? Did I not tell you about this? No. Yeah, she's doing it. Julie Taymor is a bizarre choice for that, and I love it. I'm all in. I love that. I love The Lion King. I love Across the Universe. She is such a talented storyteller. And and visionary. Yes, She just has such a, like, vision Mm -hmm. for how she sees things aesthetically. Yeah. 
Cool. I know. Well, we got to get hired. Tr- on I that. keep trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaching out for us. Don't worry, Julie. If you're listening, Gloria. If you're listening, Gloria. Any of these people, really? Um, I will. I do also want to say, um, Ava DuVernay, especially during the Dream Girl um, production, post production specifically. Her keynote at South by Southwest of Serve the Story was our anchor for how we basically told the film, the story of the film. So um, I really am obsessed with, you know, not only Ava DuVernay as like a a filmmaker, but just like as a female creator and director, um, I aspire to be her when I grow up. Yeah, we can't wait for a wrinkle in time. Oh my God, I can't wait. In that same thread, I need to give a huge shout out to Reese Witherspoon because Elle Woods changed my life oh yeah that was on my <laughs> list as well legally blonde yeah in high school oh, were we man. in high school where how old were you when you saw it i think i was in grade six okay i think i was i want to say high school ish maybe like you had been a little younger oh you're three years older than me four years older than me yeah, yeah you had been high school yeah yeah um yeah it changed my life mm-hmm. to see that movie and i know this is nothing new so many women have had that experience with legally blonde um but my dad, <laughs> I came home from school and my dad was like, do you want to go to a movie tonight? And I was like, uh, yeah, always. And he's like, okay, I think we're going to go see Legally Blonde. And I was like, I don't know what that is. That sounds great. Um, and my dad and I never went to movies together. And I remember my mom being like, do you want me to come with you? And my dad was like, nope, we're going to this movie. And he Aww. like made a point of bringing me to this movie as like, a, I'm going to plant that seed right now hmm. of like, whenever you're feeling underestimated, whenever everyone is laughing at you, yep. whenever the world just feels like it's totally stacked against you, you're going to crush Yeah, and you're going to prove them all wrong. Ugh. It's the best. It's the best. It's really the best. It's one of those films that I just like watch when I, whenever I feel like I'm being underestimated. And I think the, the, there's the scene where she's obviously in the courtroom at the end She's in that blaze. Like they could have put her in a blazer. They could have put her in black. They could have put her. She has wearing a lot of smart Harvard clothes, and they put her in that like brilliant hot pink, and it's to die for. And I, in the beginning of like doing film festivals and stuff, I would try to wear a hot pink just to be extra fucking obnoxious. Yeah, and step into that femininity. I love it. Yeah, and at the end when she says, "Don't let the bastards get you down," and it's just such a like. It's so simple Sheila and so Evans complicated. said that the other day at an event. Oh, really? Yeah, she said, don't let the bastards get you down. That could be our new mantra. <laughs> I think it should always be everyone's mantra. For life. Yeah. Do you know what that's from? John Wayne said that to Barbara Walters when uh, she was uh, being kind of, uh, not in the early stages of her career, but something shitty happened to her. He wrote her a letter and he said, don't let the bastards get you down. At the end of it. Wow. John Wayne to Hollywood. Barbara Walters. Hollywood trivia. That's amazing. Well, that's our new mantra. We're going to start and end every show with that. Amazing. <laughs> so good. Yeah, we're very influenced by, by these people, aren't we? We really do live our lives by icons. <laughs> there are people who, like, never feel this kind of love and admiration for, like, celebrities. And I, I love that we do that. That's something that I, like really connected with you on very early. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine kind of not picturing or thinking, and maybe that's to our, like, we're so obsessed with storytelling and we so want to tell stories. And I think because we know the power of them. And I think that's what great art is. You want to emotionally connect with people and feel that deeply, you know, what's the point of living otherwise? My God. (laughs) It's getting real existential up in here today. 
Yes, it is. Love it. Um, before we wrap, I would like to tell all of our beaverettes that they got to get on iTunes and give us some goddamn reviews. Good ones, please. Line them up. <laughs> send them our way. And we're going to send um, a special treat to some of you who do it. So do it. Do it. Write a review. Do it. Do it. Also, Aaron and I would love, we've had a few episodes now. We've been doing this for a little bit. And we'd love your feedback on what you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, but we also are going to be doing an advice episode. Um, so if there's a situation or circumstance that you want a little bit of advice on, a little bit of unsolicited guidance on, um, solicit us. <laughs> we'll give it to there's you. A, there's a bad <laughs> television show you need me to watch 34 seasons oh of. I will do that for you. Aaron's your girl, but I'll show up to <laughs> co-host it with you. I will have questions for you about it. So so where can they send that to, Aaron? Um, I think maybe just email me probably is the easiest way. I'm an email queen. So Aaron at dreamgirlfilm.com. Aaron at dreamgirlfilm.com. Send all of your musings. All of them. All right. Thanks, Diana, so much for chatting with me this morning. It's always so lovely to catch up with you and to go through all the things. I loved hearing about how you were a mean girl in high school. Likewise. Bye. Bye. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque, burlesque club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.